0: Okay, if you would, please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I'll be reading Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Let's pray. Father, I I ask for that promise, that for those who are in your Son, you'll never leave them nor forsake them. And you won't leave us pastors without words to speak with clarity of mind and the gift of teaching of the text. And so, I ask You for that. And I ask that You cause us to see the beauty of it and draw each and every one of us closer to You on a daily basis to the glory of Your name because of this precious Word to us today. Amen. So no matter what comes your way in life, Persecution, sickness, the death of loved ones, doubts about God, the betrayal of a close person in your life, fears of all sorts, lustful thoughts financial disaster. Whatever it is, there is nothing as protective of a believer's soul than reading, meditating on, and prayerfully trusting God's Word, the Scripture, the Bible. Trusting His self-revelation. Trusting what He has said about who He is to you. And thus trusting His commandments on what not to do and on what to do. And trusting these unimaginable glorious promises that the Lord Jesus Christ purchased on the cross. In other words, intimately, not merely intellectually, intimately and prayerfully communing with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit over the Word. That's this text. King David, before he was king and after he was king, had enemies. He had the unseen enemy called Satan and he had many visible enemies who wanted him dead. And in the midst of it, David penned his heart in Psalm 31. For I hear the whispering of many enemies Terror on every side as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, You are my God, my time. Are in your hand. If in our daily battle against Satan and temptation, if we respond like that, then we are fulfilling Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. So remember the larger context. Paul here, he's, he's painting the picture that, that we Christians are in a battlefield scene. We've got the armor, the Roman soldier all around us and on us, and now we see in the scene the sky is just filled with arrows that have been dipped in pitch and caught on fire, and they're sh- coming down against us. But they won't kill us. If we have our shields up. Like William Wallace's army in the movie Braveheart, these shields that Paul's referring to, about four feet high and two and a half feet wide, if we, like they, plant them in the ground and crouch behind them and get side by side, our shields will catch. These arrows, And we'll have 10, 20, 30 arrows in each shield and we'll get up in advance. That's the picture. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming, I would translate it, arrows of the evil one. He means the shield which is faith. Take up faith. This verse is simple, but it's also profound. It's not real complex, but it is. Profound. And at the core, this is it. When you are being attacked by the enemy, you are to trust in God, meaning trust in his sure promises to you. They're found in the Bible and they are the antidote to the lies to the deceptions to the fears that are produced by your culture and by your own flesh and clearly here in the context by the devil to trust them uh, what i mean is to grab hold of them as you see them in Scripture slowly and I mean to prayerfully Abba Father over those promises when no one is looking. I mean the Word of God written, personally trusted in prayer is what snuffs out the fiery arrows of the evil one. The scripture is just filled with stories of believers who were shot at with overwhelming circumstances. Even to the point of despairing of life itself. And they took up the shield of faith. Which means they cried out to God and trusted concrete truth and promises to them of His salvation, of His deliverance, of His comfort, of His purposes. And the result of that was that many of them were saved from temporal circumstances that were really unpleasant. Some were saved from imminent death. and others, by the same faith, were sustained in their faith as they died. Some tortured. Because the most valuable commodity that they had and that we believers today have is our saving relationship with our Creator which is evidenced by our very childlike trust in His Word. Let me give you an example of a shield of faith by a brother in the Lord. who just a few days before he was to be tied to a stake and publicly burned to death alive under Queen Bloody Mary in 1555. His shield of faith went up by penning this letter to be given to his family. I say to my wife and to my children, The Lord gave you unto me, and the Lord hath taken me from you, and you from me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I believe that they are blessed which die in the Lord. God careth for sparrows and for the hairs of our heads. I have ever found Him more faithful and favorable than any father or husband. Trust ye, therefore, in Him by the means of our dear Savior, Christ's merits, His work for you. Believe, love, fear, and obey Pray to Him, for He hath promised to help. Count me not dead, for I shall certainly live and never die. I go before and you shall follow after to our long home. I have bequeathed you to the only Omnipotent. That's an example. Just one many millions of examples of our text take up the shield of faith. None of us in here has of yet had that type of arrow shot at us, but as the arrows are flying in our lives right now on a daily basis, we are to take up our very personal, intimate, childlike trust, meaning I trust Daddy. I trust His Word. Satan and his evil spirits are relentless in opposing God. Hate God. Hate God's Word and hate God's people. And they are against us. And that's why Paul tells us in this passage, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, and in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming darts, arrows of the evil one. The demonic realm is shooting arrows at us, all the time. Here comes an arrow. It's the arrow of getting a Christian to believe that since they are a believer in Jesus and they're faithful, no bad circumstances in this temporal life will come my way because I'm walking with the Lord. It's a fiery, demonic arrow. And He'll let them believe that for a number of years. And then, that circumstance comes. And that professing Christian had all their marbles in God blessing me in this temporal circumstance. And it comes crashing down. And Satan has you exactly where he wants you. And depression and the feeling of hopelessness now overwhelms and sets in to the soul. Why had that happen? Because of the arrow. The arrow that caused you to be deceived about the Gospel. And now our emotional state is in a wreck a relational state with others is on fire we are utterly discontented and bitterness sets in against others and maybe even against god it's one of those flaming arrows or an arrow may it may be the temptation for pornography or the way you just habitually live your life and filling it with movies and TV shows and overabundance that within them, have constant, explicit sexual activity portrayed and acted out. Or maybe it is the temptation that's really sly coming from Satan just fills your soul I'm doing well because I absorb the word only through others I absorb the latest theological controversies look at that guy nailed that guy that's good I'm on that guy's team and you do this day after day and month after month to the exclusion reading the Bible for yourself prayerfully and commune and cry and feel joy and get understanding and attack the little arrows daily with a shield of faith All these flaming arrows, they are the things, like the temptations to sexual sins, to sinful pride, to hatred toward other Christians, to selfishness, to idolatry, to a disposition that is just filled with just a strifeful person, to uncontrolled sinful anger. To, oh no, no, just a talker, to gossip, to drunkenness, envy, slander of others, excessive worry, and fear. None of these arrows are these things that bring any distraction away from a devotion to Christ and to his word and to his church. And so Paul here calls us daily take up the shield, which is faith. Which here, what does he mean here by shield of faith? Okay, this is what I'm convinced of. He means in this context, actively trust in God and His Word, His promises to you. He means, the, even though it's a noun here, He's referring to your faith, the verbal activity of trusting in Him. He must mean that here because He has already used the analogy... Gird your loins with truth. And there, he meant truth in the sense of the body of Christian doctrine. Prepare for the error out there that's coming. So when he uses faith here, which could be used as the body of Christian doctrine and is at other places, he doesn't mean that here. Here he means you in the midst of real Battle, fight to trust in God's concrete revealed promises in Scripture. Do it personally. Which means apply who God says He is in Scripture and apply what He's promised against particular temptations of sin and of your flesh, and and defeat them. That's what he means. Arrows are flying. He says, get behind the shield. Get behind the shield of faith by applying the Scripture, the truth, the promises of God to particular attacks that you are experiencing in your life today. For example, Peter writes to the church as a whole, and you've got to get this, he assumes, you're going to hear this in the text, he assumes that the real attack of Satan is not merely that you're suffering, persecution is the context. He, he assumes that. And he says, but Satan is after something in the midst of your suffering. And this is how he writes it—just different way of saying what Paul's saying. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And now, watch this. He says, "What do you do?" Here's his answer: Resist him. Firm in your faith. Peter is saying, he may kill you. You may be like Job and everything is stripped. That's no victory for Satan. But if he gets you to turn tail on God, He won. Resist him. Firm in your trusting him. Because you know that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by other Christians throughout the world. Trust in God. Trust in his word was David's shield. This is how he writes it in Psalm 18, when he's running from Saul, hiding out. you've got to talk about a posse constantly after you. And we get these words from Paul, I mean from David. "I love you, O Lord, my strength." The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. Listen to this word. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord... Who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. He took up the shield of faith. And Psalm 115 tells us this O Israel, trust in the Lord, He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. So, take up the shield of faith, of intimate personal trust and communion with the Father. through this book through the truth through his word and there is a difference between knowing that god is my refuge intellectually and actually taking refuge in god and we must distinguish between the two and so That's the text. Simple. Arrows are flying to destroy your faith, to get you to not trust and walk with God. Take up faith. Trust in His Word. That extinguishes the arrow's intent. So I want to spend time just concretely, then let's okay, just watch practically how is that work in our lives? We who have been born again, who have come to new life in Christ in response to the truth. God's mercy has raised us from the dead, and the scripture is clear. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And thus, as we are aliens and sojourners in a foreign land here, we are to constantly look to our homeland, the book, the truth, the promises, for our battle against the world, worldliness, our own flesh, and Satan's arrows so for instance here comes the arrow of absolute discontentment in this with that or another thing take up the shield of faith which means take up concrete written promises from God as your protection so to look and just see how that may unfold I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13 verses 5 to 6 the writer to the Hebrews he says to these believers keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have there's the command for he has said i will never leave you nor forsake you and so we can confidently say the lord the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can what can man do to me? Loving money. Meaning making money or the things that money could buy for you, making them Your God is deadly poison. As Jesus says, you cannot worship God in money. You can't serve God in money. You can't do it at the same time. Money and the love for money or stuff or things or cars or houses or clothing and food and everything else as that's my source foundationally of happiness will destroy you. It ruined Balaam. It ruined Achan. I know some of you hopefully know what I'm talking about. It ruined Gehazi, Elisha's servant. No, no, he he wasn't going to take money, but yeah, he wants some of that money. Pocket. It ruined the rich young ruler. To whom Jesus spoke. It ruined Judas Iscariot. It ruined Ananias and Sapphira. And Jesus himself said it was the worries, worries, how am I going to pay thy bills? Worries of the future, worries of the present. It was the worries and the riches and the pleasures of this life that were the thorns that grew up and choked out the Word from bearing fruit. Jesus warned, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then Jesus there went on to tell the parable of the rich fool who planned to build bigger and bigger barns to store and hold his wealth. And then in his story he says, he didn't know it, but that night he died and had to give an account. And then Jesus concluded with these words, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He's driving at our greed of what we really worship more than the one who created us and offers free salvation through Jesus Christ. that that love of money as the Hebrew writer says is deadly poison And the world in which we live mixed with our fleshly desires which are within us it's a battle enough along with the devil's arrows it works to get us to drink that daily poison daily and so this little passage in Hebrews 13 verse five and six it's it's just a real clear biblical strategy for fighting against the enemy arrows now whether you put love of money as the sin, or sexual immorality you're tempted to as the sin, or backbiting as the sin, or unforgiveness, or holding a grudge, it it, it all works in this basic little biblical structure. Look at it one more time. Verse 5. The Word of the Lord comes quietly to you in your prayer closet Joe keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have okay, another, way, another way to say it is, walk with Jesus. But notice it doesn't just say, okay, just do it. He saved you, now you should go do something for Him. That's not what it's saying. Notice the next word. It tells you why you should do it. And it gives you the power to do it. See it? For, meaning because, Our Lord has said this to us. I, the Lord, will never leave you. Nor ever forsake you. So here, the way to be free, just as one example of an arrow, from the love of money, and and to be content, to be happy in God, no matter what your circumstance, the way to do it, is to know, and be satisfied by the promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Now, so in our prayer closets the question comes do you believe that? do I believe that right now in my circumstance? and at the moment you believe that and to the extent you believe that peace and contentment comes And when it's not there, we're not believing that, at that moment, this is the battle of every genuine Christian life. So, whether love of money, put immoral sex in there, put put sinful anger in there, put just fear, fear, fear that drives your life, put your sin of gossip, put your sin of unforgiveness, put it in there, See, if it's true that because of Christ and His death on the cross and His resurrection and the free salvation that He's given us, if it is true that God will never leave you nor forsake you, then at that moment, you don't need to be like a heroin addict who has no money to get his next fix, and therefore will break into someone's home desperately to get it. You don't have to go after money and worry and wring your hands at that moment because God will never leave you or forsake you. He promises to always be there so you can be content. You can be free from the love of money as Paul said in Philippians, right? And he's talking about this is growth in Christianity in Philippians 4. I have learned the secret of being content even when I have all kinds of financial needs met. And when I have almost none of them met and I don't know how we're going to eat tomorrow. He said he learned the secret and his secret was I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God says to you in your prayer closet I'm right here right now in this situation. And when that reality hits the prayerful, born-again heart, it produces contentment. It produces the obedience to the command. Free yourself from the love of money and be content with what you have. When faith in our heart is just fanned aflame by the promises of God, What's the result according to this text now? He says it. That's right. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Verse 6. So we confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You see what faith thinks about? It's aroused by the truth that says, if God is really there for me, then man, then my culture, then the system is not the ultimate shaper of my life and of my future. That's why He says, quoting the Scripture, What can man do to me? Now that's strange, kind of, right? Because... Well, I can think of all kinds of stuff. Wives can do, husbands can do, children can do, friends can do, governments can do, banks can do. People can break into your home and they can steal from you. What do you mean, what can they do to you? They can evict you because you don't pay your rent. They can foreclose on your mortgage. They can slander you. They can betray you. They can even kill you. In this last month, I don't know the number of those who have died because they were Christians is the reason they were killed. In this world, they were. In the Hebrew writer who says this now, What can man do to me? What are you talking about? He's already written what men can do. For instance, back in chapter 11, when he is talking about the shield of faith, he gives all these examples of those who trusted in God and saw deliverance. And saw another deliverance in this world, in another deliverance. And then he starts to make a transition about it in Hebrews 11, starting with verse 35. And he says, And women... Received back their dead by resurrection. That was good. And some, and the whole context here is through their faith, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Paul's writing, Ephesians, from prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. And all of these were commended through their faith. So so the writer of Hebrews here, he's very aware that man can do a lot of stuff to hurt us. So when he says, I will say the Lord is my helper. I'm not going to fear. What can man do to me? What does he mean? I want you to look Or listen to what he said in chapter 10. When he is praising the shield of faith in these believers' lives, particularly a few years back, they were so trusting in the Gospel, so trusting in God's Word actively, it was producing dangerous acts of love. This is what he says in verse 34, chapter 10. For you, you had compassion on fellow Christians who were in prison and you joyfully, joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. He's talking about their faith. Man, religious government stole from you your stuff because you refused to hide out and visited your brothers and sisters in prison. And they said, oh, there's one. Let's get his name. And you joyfully did it knowing what might happen temporally in this world. And let me finish what... I'm not done with the quote. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Because you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and unabiding one. That's where their faith was. In the resurrection. In the future. In the promise of the Gospel that makes a life of 1,700 years of torturous slavery be a drop in the bucket to what Jesus purchased forever. In other words, He is saying faith, understands the infinite value of the better possession and an abiding one, an eternal one. The faith says, according to the writer, what if they plunder my possessions by my love flowing from my faith in Christ? It says, God is on my side. He will never leave me. Or forsake me? What can man do to me? He must mean therefore by what can man do to me? Not that man can't do anything bad to you temporally. He must mean man can never do anything to me that will lead to me not inheriting everlasting, beautiful, happy, life in Jesus Christ he's got to mean that so if, if to the extent that any of us who are Christians are looking to God are looking to Christ to give us what we want now here temporally he's the means, there's my goal there's my end then you'll never be content but if I just walk with Him, I'll get the house I want, I'll get the spouse I want, I'll get the children I don't have, but I want. I'll I'll get the life without pain. Utter disappointment is promised to come and to keep you down until you see the Gospel more clearly. The Apostle Paul sums up what this living by faith is, what this taking up the shield of faith looks like in real life, and he sums it up this way in Romans chapter eight. What should we say then? We're in this. Who? Okay, now watch this. What shall man do to Me? Paul phrases it this way. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation at the hands of men? Shall distress? Shall persecution? Shall poverty, that famine... Shall nakedness, where am I going to get more clothes to wear? Shall danger? How about the sword? His answer? No. In all these things that you might experience, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us Why do you say that, Paul? He says, here's my answer. For I am sure... There it is. That's faith. To be sure of God's promise. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from God's love to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can man, culture, circumstances do to me? That's the power to obey. Free your life from the love of money, from being enslaved to immoral sex, from being a slanderer, from holding grudges, from not loving brothers and sisters. Or f- continuing, That's the power to do it and so as I close then take up the shield of faith concretely okay what what do we do I really don't know any other way I don't know if what I'm going to say I just I can't imagine what it is and some of you know my little word if you got another option let me know but at the core it means this get With God over His Word, over the truth, over the gospel, over reality, over His commands and over His promises, and all of it knowing always Jesus purchased those promises. They're all yes and amen in Him. And so, you get with God prayerfully and you fight against your own self, your flesh, and your circumstances. You fight to trust in the promises in order to break the power and the grip of Satan's arrows causing you to hold on to sin in whatever area. The world that we live in, the culture that we live in, our own flesh and the devil are constantly allied against God's people. Those who have seen and thus been changed by and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And taking up the shield of faith, therefore, or said in another word, Trusting His promises, that's the key. It's not one of 30 keys, that is the key to breaking the power of sin, of the arrows of Satan that are getting through. The world and the temporal life that God gives to any of you since new birth the world is like a river and we're in it. And if you're not paddling upstream against it with the promises of God and the truth of the gospel, you may think you're having a good time and I love Jesus, but you are going backward. And the more backward you go downstream, the less you know it. And there is a waterfall down river and that's why the same Hebrew writer says also in the context of this chapter 3 verses 12 to 13 be very careful Christians lest there be in any one of you an evil unbelieving opposite of trusting the promises and the gospel an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God but as an antidote to that exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's why Jesus created the church. That's why He created His body. That's why He created each individual that He saves to become a member of members of one body. That's why small groups, that's why prayer groups, that's why Bible studies, that's why telephones in which one can talk, that's why coffee shops in which you can sit, This is crucial to the Christian life. We are desperate and we need people in our lives to encourage us every day with the promises of God because we all get overwhelmed with the incoming flaming arrows that will deaden our hearts when we hide. But now, having said that, as I close, I'm going to say this. The answer isn't, oh, that's it, that's great, okay, I'll just go on and just make sure, because I, I like people, so I'll be in church. I'll go to the Bible study, and that's my life. Oh, no, no, We're missing it then. What do you bring to be the encourager for the other, too? We are playing both parts in this. And therefore, to the extent that the body dynamic is working, protecting, loving one another, is to the extent of what do you do in your prayer closet over the Word? Do you really read the Bible? They don't care less what any, even I, your pastor, think or any other super apostle thinks today and what tweets they tweet out. Do you read the Bible and get troubled over it and slow down and go back again and do it prayerfully and then you say, oh, that's so clear. And let God just lovingly melt your heart again and again. Let Him convict your sin Your hardness, your rudeness that you did eight hours ago, yesterday. That's at the core of our walk. The key to the shield of faith is personal Bible meditation in the presence of God. Because if you don't have it, what else do you have in front of you to trust in? joy long-term happiness reaching even into eternity tasting of it now it abounds through the concrete self-exposure that God gave us in the Word sometimes that's what we need no direction no, what, what, what they would say in our day. No practicality anywhere. Just, that's God. <laughs> and, and it takes you through the day. And then we need practicality. And, you'll, and He'll give that to you. Where the promises of God and the commands of holiness for your life. They are the object of our heart's Trust of our devotion, the object of the shield of faith with which we will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Go. Let's pray. Father, I ask that You do that loving Beautiful work of true conviction for every one of us in this room. A Holy Spirit engendered conviction. That as we sing this morning, we'd be overwhelmed with the love of Jesus in this. That it would drive us daily to our prayer clauses, to the Scripture, to be stunned again and again over passages we read 197 times. But the 198th will cause a deep communion, a deep contentment, a deep joy, and an empowerment with You and by Your Spirit to the glory of Jesus. Amen.